my vision for the future would be that we would have an environment that wouldn't have nutrient pollution. But in the next 50 years or so, we think of ourselves almost like a hospital because excess nitrogen and phosphorus isn't going away, even though there's trends to try to reduce both of those. But because of real estate developments, because of cattle ranches, because of farms, stormwater runs into rivers, runs into reservoirs that ultimately wind up in irrigation ponds at vineyards or orchards, but also wind up in wastewater treatment plants and drinking water utilities, industrial plants. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. Today, we're going to talk about something we've touched on a few times on this show before, including out-of-control algae blooms and the devastation that they can actually impact on environments and on coastal communities. We'll talk about technological solutions and including a really cool ultrasonic algae removal system. We're going to learn how this compares against chemical-based processes And what really excites me about this conversation in particular is that we can move from fear of things like red tides and mass fish die-offs to a feeling of empowerment. And so while we're doing the cleanup efforts of trying to get our waters bluer, our rivers and streams less polluted with some of this nutrition runoff from farming, and out of these problems that we can empower ourselves to be the change that we need to see by paying attention and preventing those out-of-control blooms from doing exactly that, becoming something that we need to look at as a natural disaster, essentially. So joining me for this conversation today is Lawrence Field. He is the CEO of Water IQ, a company he founded, and a provider of modern ultrasonic algae bloom mitigation solutions. Lawrence Field, welcome to the show. Karina, nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. I understand you're off in the mountains enjoying life here. I'm here on the coast and closer to (laughs) the problems of some of the algae blooms that we might see here in California. But I really wanted to just start our conversation today by learning what brought you into this space, because while it's vitally important, it might seem like a, a really kind of out there field. Right. So what brought you to it? Well, I have a background actually in pipeline inspection and we inspected hundreds of thousands of miles of pipelines in the united states that would carry liquids or oil or natural gas and we used a ultrasonic device to go inside the pipeline to detect for anomalies corrosion leaks and then we would report back to our customers And then I also had an investment, started a wastewater treatment company, and I sold both of those companies and was semi-retired, living in Jackson Hole in the summer in California in the wintertime. And I saw this device on a golf course, 
and I was intrigued about it. And I talked to our superintendent who said that he was taking the water that irrigated the golf course from the Snake River. And then the water would go through the golf course, water the fairways, but he couldn't use chemicals because the water was going back in the snake and it was a very uh, regulated permit that he was working under because we're right next to a national park. So I was intrigued and found myself almost a year later teaming up with a company called Sonic Solutions. And they had been in the business manufacturing and selling this ultrasonic device, but were undercapitalized. And I felt like that there was a market given the trends. And so I started Water IQ Technologies and since invested millions of dollars upgrading the technology and the also providing remote water quality monitoring that a number of our customers need to take daily reports of how their water is doing. And so we have this integrated system that not only kills algae, but also provides real-time water quality monitoring data for our customers to see how their water is performing every day. Now, I had heard about things like algae being used in water treatment plants to help rid some of the water of the nutrition that is overabundant in some runoff areas. Like, So for instance, if you have nitrogen and phosphorus that are coming off of farmland, which is very common here on the central coast of California, we've got so much farmland, it's very fertile. If you're eating a berry in the United States, it's probably coming from Driscoll's in Watsonville, you know? So they are tackling that locally by actually using algae at one of the stages processing. So the algae actually consumes it and then is filtered out before the water then exits the treatment plant and is then recycled and reused. Now, I've heard you on another podcast talk about the fact that there are still remnants of that those cyanobacteria or other algaes often and that that can kind of exacerbate the problem. And I was really hoping you could help clarify that because I don't think algae is necessarily the enemy. In fact, we know that half of the oxygen we breathe or more comes from algae. However, when we have these red tides, these out of control algae blooms, you see these mass fish die-offs, a bunch of like fish washing into a harbor or onto shore. It's toxic. And so there's got to be a middle ground. Your piece sits into one part of that solution. But I'm really hoping you can help us all understand the cycle, the problem, and really how we can step towards a solution that hopefully one day, not to say I want you to go out of business, but wouldn't it be nice to not need that? <laughs> well, I would agree with you. And I was asked recently by a magazine, what would be my vision for the future? And my vision for the future would be that we would have an environment that wouldn't have nutrient pollution. But in the next 50 years or so, we think of ourselves almost like a hospital because excess nitrogen and phosphorus isn't going away, even though there's trends to try to reduce both of those. But because of real estate developments, because of cattle ranches, because of farms, stormwater runs into rivers, runs into reservoirs that ultimately wind up in irrigation ponds at vineyards or orchards, but also wind up 
and wastewater treatment plants and drinking water utilities, industrial plants, and then also in the aquaculture market where there's fish hatcheries. Unfortunately, certain types of algae can be harmful and kill fish while they're trying to grow. And so it's not going away. And in the meantime, we want to be like that hospital that treats the patients with care. And so if you had cancer, you could go and get chemotherapy. And we would relate that to something like a chemical such as an algaecide that can kill algae, but it also kills other beneficial bacteria and other parts of the water that make the whole ecology or ecosystem of a water body healthy. And so our technology actually just targets the gas vesicle and a harmful blue-green algae and doesn't impact wildlife, doesn't impact humans, doesn't impact the beneficial bacteria that's inside the water. Well, you're speaking to the biologist in me, you know, speaking about the vesicles and the structure and form of these algae and cyanobacterium. But I think to help people understand more broadly what you're talking about here, this is a non-chemical intervention, meaning you're blasting this stuff with ultrasonic sound waves, right? Exactly. Which is like, you think about it like cleaning your jewelry or brushing your teeth with your sonic hair. <laughs> you're doing that in the water and it essentially busts the cells up. Is that correct? Without harming other life? Sure. I think if you think of an opera singer and if the opera singer hits the right pitch at the right decibel, the crystal would vibrate and then ultimately shatter like the old Memorex commercial. And so <laughs> that phenomenon is called critical structural resonance. And so we have developed a technology that emits, and our newest technology actually emits 4,400 ultrasonic frequencies between 20 kilohertz and 200 kilohertz. So it's beyond what humans can hear. We can hear only up to about 18 kilohertz. And these are targeted, these ultrasonic waves pulse every second on for four tenths of a second, off of six tenths of a second pulses. And we have a circuit board that ignites these piezos and the piezos would be like an amplifier and they go out through our called transducers and emit these frequencies. And it takes about 40 something minutes to go through our 4,400 frequencies that pulse every second. And we have found through working with scientists, and we really view science and academic research as our partner, we have found that in blue-green algae, they have part of their cell structure is something called a gas vesicle. And the gas vesicle causes the blue-green algae to rise, causes buoyancy, rise and get sunlight. And what you need to really create algae besides nitrogen and phosphorus is a little sunlight and warm temperatures. And that's the recipe for how algae grows. Ironically enough, algae is not even an algae, it's a bacterium. It's, yeah, it's photosynthetic bacterium. That's why it's called cyanobacterium, correct? 
That's exactly right. And there's 7,500 species of blue-green algae. And in those 7,500 species, there's a lot of subspecies. So there's literally tens of thousands of these types of blue-green algae that some of which do contain cyanobacteria that releases toxins that when are exposed are harmful not only to pets, but can be harmful to humans. And so we deal with targeting not only blue-green algae, but we also kill green algae, which can be harmful to lakes or ponds or drinking water utilities because they cause total suspended solids to go up and they also can clog irrigation valves if you're a farmer. And so even though green algae isn't considered harmful, it can cause a lake to become eutrophic, which means it kills all of the oxygen or absorbs all the oxygen. And it really can create almost a dead body of water where it's just green. And basically goes septic, right? Yes. And then with our latest introduction with our device that now emits over 4,000 frequencies, we've learned that we can kill golden algae and red algae. And they don't have the same gas vesicles uh, cows buoyancy. They have something called a flagella, and that allows them to be mobile. And the red algae, Carina brevis, is the species that causes red tide, and it washes up into estuaries and channels. Okay, Lawrence, I have to stop you there for a second, because that sounded an awful lot like my name. <laughs> Carina brevis. <laughs> Well, it's a species. So. Oh, boy. So I can say it's my uh, algae collaborator or something. I'm like the red tide. We'll just joke about that. <laughs> no, but this is one of the more, well, broadly known algaes that is so problematic, that kind of red tide perspective. If you live on the coast anywhere, and especially if you're in Florida or perhaps in the Gulf of Mexico, you've probably heard about some of these algae blooms and seen their effects and smelled them too, because it's kind of stinky on the coast when you have a red algae bloom. But these other species, the things you're talking about in the blue-green space, which can be toxic, you said toxic to pets and humans, it gets a little scary. There are some species of blue-green algae that we use commonly for nutrition, like spirulina. So I had a question for you that relates to that because I don't want people to get overdriven with fear for something like that spirulina that can be a nutritional boosting ingredient that's helpful to manage your health. So how would you differentiate some of these? And when you're going through this gamut of frequencies to isolate and kill different strains of algae, are you selecting them or are you just always kind of broadcasting through the spectrum? So before we put our unit or our technology in a water body, we actually take water samples so we know what we're dealing with. And generally, the types of algae that can produce blue-green algae type of species would be things like microcystis or anabium, pediasterum. And these are species that do release toxins and they cause bodies of water. For example, you're in California, there are bodies of water that are closed because they're just not safe to swim in. 
I just got back from Austin, Texas, and they have a beautiful lake in downtown, Town Lake. Town Lake, yeah. And uh, every year they have dogs that will drink out of Town Lake and die. And so those are the issues that we're dealing with, which are the the cyanotoxins that are released by a number of different species of blue-green algae. So when it comes to this treatment, one of the things I thought about was whether or not it could be utilized on, let's say, a pond that's full of fish without damaging the fish or the other life forms there. Is this something that can be utilized in that way, or does the water have to be filtered through it as it's being processed? One of our largest markets is the aquaculture market. And so they have dealt in Texas, for example, hundreds of millions of fish have died in Texas through something called Perivius parvum, which is the species, and it's a golden algae. And so our unit does not impact fish, birds, any type of wildlife. And so it's a matter of fact, in our first several programs or hatches with Texas Fish and Wildlife, our unit where they've installed the technology, the mortality rate of the fish has in decreased 10 times, meaning that because the fish are being impacted by this harmful blue-green or golden algae, they're two different kinds, but both of them impact the fish, we've seen the fish flourish. And so, again, the fish aquaculture market is very big market. We're in bodies of water all the time in reservoirs that are recreational reservoirs or drinking source reservoirs for drinking water utilities and absolutely no impact at all. The frequencies just target the gas vesicles of the blue-green it's a little more complicated with green. It's called thylakoids, but they act similar. And again, with golden and red algae, it's the flagella. Yeah. So you're identifying these algae usually by looking at them under a microscope, right? Because you can tell if it's a rotifer or if it's got a flagella, then it's this other type. And so you're identifying them that way visually. And just so the audience understands too, the algae can be present in the water as this is all microalgae. They're tiny. And unless there's a lot of them, you're not going to see the color. So you, you have to look at them under a microscope to even sometimes see if they're there and identify them. And this would also be part of the reason why a red algae bloom seems to come out of the blue. The water was fine yesterday and today it's red. That algae can also change its color. So it might have been green in an earlier stage of its development and now it's turned orange or pink or yellow. So identifying it on site without some sort of analysis isn't really possible. And Lawrence, I like that you're doing that from the perspective of testing the water. I like to always say test, don't guess, because you just don't know, right? And same thing applies to your health markers and things like that too. When we think about water, you can't just trust that it's good to drink, which is also why I've always been skeptical of something like a life straw. Can't imagine that it would filter out everything that might harm me if I'm drinking from a straw out of a puddle, right? And perhaps that's just because I've seen too much under a microscope. <laughs> well, there are in bodies of water generally more than one species. There's a number of different species of different types of algae that when we take our sampling, 
And again, we're normally called when there is an issue where it's not microscopic to the eye when you see mats floating algae that has accumulated. And that's where it really gets dangerous. Yeah. I mean, this is my thinking, though, and I'm sure you're on on par with me, because if you could actually get to a point where we were handling this from a mitigation standpoint and not a crisis standpoint, that you could identify it before the problem became so out of control that suddenly you have fish washing up into the harbor dead or health outcomes that are really scary. I mean, I've seen those signs on certain beaches, too, saying the water's unsafe right now to swim here. And we also recently saw some really terrible news coming out of Florida, where not only did they have out-of-control algae blooms that were negatively impacting people's health, but at the same time, flesh-eating bacteria. And so that gets really scary for people. It gets them to pay attention to water quality and the sorts of things that we're doing to impact water quality. But it also causes me to ask the question, as someone who doesn't know this as deeply as I'm sure you do, of whether or not the algae blooms themselves are creating other conditions where these bacterium, like the flesh-eating bacteria, can thrive. Like, is one leading to the other, in other words? So I don't want to get above my skis and become an expert on the flesh-eating bacteria that we read about recently. So we just really stick to blue-green algae and green algae and golden algae and red algae. And even though blue-green algae is considered a bacteria from a taxonomy perspective, I wouldn't want to comment on what the correlation would be between the flesh-eating bacteria and blue-green algae. I do know blue-green algae that the state of Florida, as you mentioned, that Governor DeSantis assigned a $3.5 billion executive order to help clean up the infrastructure of the damages that the algae has caused coming from Lake Okeechobee all the way actually north of Florida lands a lot of times in Lake Okeechobee. It's filled with harmful blue-green algae, something called, in this case, Microcystis aeruginus, and then it overflows into channels through locks and goes to Naples on one side, Stewart on the other, and you have literally hundreds of thousands of residents that then are faced with having the cyanotoxins in their backyard or in your water body. So I'm betting if you're a dog owner that you're not someone that often lets your dogs drink from puddles. Now, I know that in my local area, they're using recycled waters at all the parks. And sometimes that water does collect in a pot in a puddle here or there, right? I've seen some friends complaining that their dogs just have what would be called almost incontinence after they um, drink some of that some of that water. Like they just are constantly kind of having a little bit of pee, right? So almost like a UTI for the dog, right? So obviously there are some minor effects, but also the potentially more major effects. So how can we as local citizens in our own communities work to help make sure that this is clean and safe because can't always prevent the errant dog or child from doing something like, you know, putting some of that muddy water in their mouths. Right. I think the states are becoming obviously more aware in municipalities. And so they're enacting programs to really monitor the water. And in the state of California, they have a program that monitors 
all the harmful algae blooms that occur that are reported and those are announced statewide and then they go to the local governing official and either close the body of water or at least warn and start problem that gets out of hand and oftentimes we get called to help solve that historically the way to kill algae is through chemicals and unfortunately again as we talked about that chemicals we want to be a hospital that treats our patients well and again if you had cancer and you had chemotherapy it can kill the cancer but it kills again other things that are the good antibodies if you will or the beneficial bacteria in the water and so we're really the sustainable version and hopefully the environmental friendly solution to deal with this harmful blue-green algae issue. Well, I personally love that. I'm thinking about the pond behind my father's condo in uh, Redwood City. I know that they treat the water with something that is obviously like a dark green blue. And you can tell because the color looks artificial every time that they've treated it, right? They're obviously not using your solution. They're using a chemical intervention of some sort that they claim doesn't hurt the fish. The carp in there are giants. So I mean, they still seem to be okay, but I would personally prefer that they're using a technology like yours rather than a bunch of chemicals. So if our audience wants to learn more about how they can, let's say, even pitch that, like, let's say they live in a complex in Redwood City like my father's, hey, can we shift to this ultrasonic technology instead? Does it compare from a cost perspective? Is it more affordable, less? Or what's what's the long view, so to speak, on something like this? So the cost comparison for our product or technology versus an algicide is actually very equivalent because you have to apply chemicals weekly or monthly and our unit is automated. You turn it on and if there's no access to electricity, it can be powered by a solar panel that's inside the body of the water floats and the unit sits about six inches underneath. So again, it's automated and very, very maintenance friendly. And so we really do reduce the labor shortage or labor cost for our customers. They really like the fact that they don't have to be labor intensive with our technology. But for us, it's part of education to answer your question that our technology is getting known. The governor of California knows about it. Governor of Florida knows about it. The different water districts are getting to know about it. But we've also had to go through a lot of scientific research to prove that not only does our technology work, the efficacy works, but that we have no other impact on the environment with the exception of killing and targeting these harmful blue-green algaes primarily. Wow. Well, I really have to say I'm encouraged by what you're doing because I understand the problem of these out-of-control algae blooms. There have been a whole series of entrepreneurial efforts that are kind of centered around the algae space, some of which are even going out and grabbing the algae to then convert it into things like the foam in sneaker soles and things like that. That's the company Bloom, right? Right. But it doesn't 
do anything to prevent the algae bloom from going out of control in the first place. So it's a cleanup as opposed to a solution. And on the way to cleaning out our waterways so that they don't get an overburden of nitrogen and phosphorus, a lot of which is being handled by a reduction in this sort of flood style irrigation. Because when you convert from irrigation system where you're just wetting the entire field, you get a lot of runoff from that. And when you're able to convert those farming techniques and technologies to be more regenerative, like a regenerative organic farming style, you tend to use less water. They tend to use water from the surface or from like tubes underground, things like that, or even just the hoses so that they aren't getting as much runoff. And they aren't using the same kind of load of topical fertilizers that mingle with the water. These are salts essentially, right? And then end up in our waterways, make our rivers turn from this beautiful, clear and blue reflective space to something that's murky and muddy looking, and then kind of creates this runoff and bloom right into the oceans. I also wanted to clarify something for our audience as well, because you said warm temperatures, warm waters as a condition in which algae thrives. And those of us who live here in California, we don't consider the water here warm, but algae tends to thrive from as low as like, I think, depends on the species, but close to freezing when you see warm water, right? Like they can still bloom in the 50s and whatnot. Is that correct? That's right. Around 40 degrees is sort of the magic temperature that it gets to be so cold that algae doesn't really proliferate. So in fact, up north, our units are pulled out of the water in the wintertime when the water freezes. But you'll see generally the warmer the temperatures, the more algae will grow, proliferate. And frankly, one of the trends that we're seeing is that with our climate, it does seem to be getting warmer. And as a result of that, uh, with warmer temperatures, harmful algae is a bigger issue. Yeah. So I've probably read way too much about this and I don't want to completely nerd out for our audience. But, you know, with rising temperatures, the ocean, it doesn't have to be much to have a pretty dramatic effect. And when you're talking about global air temperature rise of one and a half degrees Celsius, I mean, we're definitely going to top that. And our oceans are continuing to see warming trends. Here in California, our waters are fairly cold. I'm a scuba diver. The ocean is about 55, 56 degrees most of the year. And then if you go deep, it can be cooler. I've been in waters on the coast here as low as 47 degrees. But generally speaking, you know, you're looking at mid 50s for our water temps. It goes up just a little bit and it changes the conditions for all of the environment. So that can mean that the acidity of the ocean rises, which means it's absorbing more carbon. And as the ocean absorbs more carbon. It also increases in temperatures. So it's like we get into this kind of awful cycle. So again, I think solutions like this are going to be needed. And mitigation strategies means trying to get in the middle of it before it becomes a problem. <laughs> Ultimately, we want to solve the for the, the runoff in the first place and reduce these things coming into our, our waters. But we have to think about it too. It also comes from your toilet. Like, let's be frank you consume things, you have waste, those waste salts and the medications you take and all the stuff that you're consuming, some of that ends up in our oceans and our rivers too. So that's just the reality of how our systems work here. So, you know, what do you do? You create a technology, you create a solution, 
you make it affordable. You work with your local legislators, whatnot, to try and get them to think about this. And this is one of the reasons that I think that some regulations are absolutely necessary. Like we need to have water quality standards. We need to make sure that we don't have bad actors polluting our waterways in such a way that is creating real problems that are expensive in other ways for our communities and our oceans and our ecosystems. So I just want to say thank you for bringing attention to this issue and for working to solve it. I know that's a lot of work. And when you say you have invested millions of dollars in research, I believe it because this stuff is highly technical. And the fact that, I mean, you're even talking about things like different algae species that have a flagella and they move and they're bacteria, they're, they're different than I think we might think of a, a simple plant. So yeah, I'm so glad that there's an opportunity available that isn't chemically based and I applaud the work. Thank you. Karina, appreciate the time and we are trying to empower our customers to be better stewards of the environment by killing harmful blue-green algae. Yeah, well, and making a solution that can float in a pond and be powered by a simple, hey, it's powered by a little solar array. That makes so much sense to me, especially if it's not something that can be powered. So I love that. And I just want to say, keep at it. And hopefully you can come back on at some point in the future and share with me how this technology has really changed. You know, gosh, like maybe we have a dramatic drop in incidence of these problems on the coast of California and Florida. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Well, and inside, it's just not the coast because it's all the farms and it's all the drinking water utilities and all the wastewater treatment plants and golf courses. And the luckily, we're the official technology, water technology for Audubon. And we have groups like that that are trying to support our effort because I do think at the end of the day, we're seeing more farmers and companies wanting to do the right thing. Yeah. Well, here, here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to leave you with an opportunity to share some closing words with our audience. Then I'll provide a few key takeaways of my own. Well, I appreciate the job that you're doing on just spreading the message of sustainability because I really feel like that we want to leave the planet better for our children. And the one way to do that is not to treat an issue with toxic chemicals, but uh, having a solution that doesn't impact the environment long-term is really part of our mission. Well, here, here Again, thank you so much. I think that was really well stated. We want to protect not only our kids, but also our dear pets, all the wildlife that could be negatively impacted as well. And I think too often we don't Think of them as stakeholders at the table as well. So it's important. It's very important. Well, great, Karina. Well, it's good to be with you today. And thanks for again all that you're doing. Awesome. If it wasn't obvious before to you, I hope that it is now that we really do need to focus on cleaning up our water systems, returning our rivers and lakes to their natural, beautiful blue. I want to draw your attention to an article that was written by John Rulak. He has been instrumental in the regenerative agriculture space, and he wrote an article specifically on returning our rivers to their original beautiful blue. Now, I did interview him on an episode of Nutrition Without Compromise, and I reshared that on this podcast as well. So if you want to go back and hear from him specifically about the import of cleaning up our farming system so that our waters can be this beautiful blue so that 
we aren't having that runoff go to the oceans, I think that it would be a really great episode to expand on your knowledge and learn a little bit more. And then if you're really motivated to read that article, it's available on Substack. Again, it was by John Rolak. And while we do work to clean up our rivers and our waterways, it is still imperative that we find mitigation solutions like that that has been offered to us today by Lawrence Field and specifically with this technology. So I encourage you to take a look at the show notes and follow the link to Water IQ's website. It will be critical to kind of move this conversation forward, share that thought with your community. And if you happen to live an apartment complex or by a lake and you know that they're throwing these weird colorants in the water, typically, guess what? That is a chemical solution to algae because they're trying to deal with out-of-control blooms and reduce the stink that can come with that. So if you have the power, then take it on yourself and go ahead and recommend that your local community look into this water IQ. Now, I'll be sure to include links to where you can learn more about Lawrence Field and his important work in show notes. And you'll also find so much more when you visit our website, caremorebebetter.com. There we have an episode page for every single episode. It'll include complete transcripts, links to everything that we discussed today, including that article by John Rolak. And if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll even receive a five-step guide to help organize your efforts and even unleash your inner activist. I also include some sustainability tools in there and some education resources to help you learn more about things like regenerative agriculture. Thank you now and always for being a part of this pod and this community because together we really can do so much more. And speaking of that, if you just leave me a review, give me a thumbs up, a like, a comment, wherever you're listening or watching this, it will really help this reach more people and grow our community. Because that's something I firmly believe. Together we can do so much more. We can care more, we can be better, and we can even clean up those waterways and return our blue planet to its former glory. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.